Welcome to the Campus Christian Fellowship Podcast for the University of Iowa, Iowa State University, and the University of Northern Iowa. So last week, John started us on this kind of two-part series. He called it Freedom and Responsibility, and he even called it Part 1. And what I decided to do is to actually change the title of this because I think there's something a little different of the message that Paul is trying to get at. I think it's Freedom and Responsibility, but in a specific kind of way. And so what I decided to do is call this this section God's at War. We're studying 1 Corinthians 10 today. And so... The more and more I read this passage, the more and more I really thought that Paul had one particular message that he wanted to say and that we needed to to talk about specifically this sin that the Corinthian church is going to. If you check in the Bible, my Bible personally has this, this section labeled off as warning against idolatry and then do all to the glory of God. And what I think happens is, uh, is in this culture, we oftentimes get too distracted by the numbers in our Bible, you know, when Paul wrote First Corinthians, um, it was just a letter. There was no titles, there was no chapter marks, there was no verse marks. All these things are really helpful, but unfortunately, there just wasn't for these people. And so, I think Paul is really talking a lot about idolatry in this chapter. He's talking specifically against idolatry. He's pretty pretty harsh against idolaters, and uh, I, I I kept on seeing these. These uh, these passages here in First Corinthians ten seven he says do not be idolaters as some of them were, in verse fourteen and fifteen he says therefore my beloved flee from idolatry I speak as to sensible people judge for yourselves what I say and then he says later in verses twenty one and twenty two he says you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons you cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy are we stronger than he and I don't know about you, but that last one kind of guts me as a person. It kind of makes me feel just like a terrible person. And, it, and it's one of those things that I can look back and lament over. I can I can hear these words directed exactly towards people and people that I people that I know and and specific people and, and even sometimes to myself where it says you cannot partake the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Are we stronger than God? Should we provoke him? So Paul uses these pretty strong, these pretty harsh words. It's pretty harsh sentences against these people who are idolaters. But idolaters maybe is something that we don't quite have a grasp on what it means. And so if you're unfamiliar with that, let's talk a little bit about idolatry. So an idolater is somebody who practices idolatry. And idolatry is the worship of an idol. So idolaters practice idolatry which is idol worship. And an idol is, quite simply put, um, just something that's not God, but that we value more than God. So the first real encounter that we have with idolatry, and it's the first specific encounter that, that God specifically addresses, is in Exodus 32. It's usually the most famous passage when talking about idolatry. It's Exodus 32. It's called the golden calf. And so what happens, if you're unfamiliar with the story where we're at in the biblical narrative so far, Exodus 32 
is this stage where Israel has been freed from captivity in Egypt and they're kind of wandering a little bit. They're, they're, they're not sure where they're supposed to go next. They're waiting for God to lead them to their destination of what we would know now as the nation of Israel. But as of right now, Israel is in this state of just a people group. It's kind of like if you've seen Thor Ragnarok, that Israel is in that stage of Asgard that after they leave Asgard and it's and it's been destroyed, and then Thor gets that revelation about how Asgard is not a place, but it's the people. And so that's kind of the same Israel here. Is we're in that stage. Israel is a nation of people, not a nation of land, not a nation of property. And so we have this uh, this narrative here where, in the middle of this sort of wandering, this this. Uh, this state of freedom um, from captivity, but the state also of uncertainty of what's next for us. People just kind of do a lot of really stupid things. And for a lot of years, the the Israelites just continue to wander because they kind of just suck. They're really, really, really inconsiderate people. They're, they're not good at all. You would just, you, it's hard to believe that earlier in this book, that only, you know, not even 30 chapters ago that these people were in bondage, in slavery, in Egypt, in some of the harshest conditions that there ever were for, for these people, these people. And, and here they are committing idolatry and, and just screwing up constantly in, in the eyes of God. And so Exodus 32 says this. So Aaron said to them, them being the crowd, take off the rings of gold that are in your ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. Aaron, of course, being Moses' brother, the high priest. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. Now, a couple things about this passage. First of all, there's a feast to the Lord. And feasts are something in the biblical text that are always made out of celebration. And usually celebration out of something just is so profound that only God can do it. You know, the the Jews and even we practice um, Passover and, and the Jews are a little bit better at practicing Passover than us, but we practice Passover this time of, of remembering when God chose to, to spare the Israelites. We recognize it as, as a time of, of freedom from captivity, uh, as, as the, as the nation of Israel, but we recognize it specifically in the event of when, when Pharaoh decided to release the Israelites, which is when God struck down Pharaoh's son but he decided to pass over the other houses that followed God's command. And so we celebrate that Passover as, as a symbol of freedom for the people, freedom for us, freedom for our faith. And so a feast is of important significance here because feasts celebrate important markers. And so Aaron is saying by celebrating a feast that this golden calf is an important marker. Not only that, but he does he makes this golden calf out of the rings of the people of Israel. 
This is not just we have a bunch of gold lying around. This is if I asked you to give me your wedding ring and your earrings and your necklaces, and then we're going to take all that and we're going to melt it down and we're going to form this golden calf out of it. First of all, I know that people like their jewelry and that's great and all, but at the same time, this is this is not something that we can think of as only an act of Aaron committing. This is not something that is simply just uh, just a mess up by one person, but this is the whole community coming together because this is everybody giving their giving their rings, giving their necklaces, giving all of their 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 gold jewelry, so that we we can, they can fashion this golden calf. And the other thing about this passage is that after they build this golden calf, they worship it and they say, "This calf is your God, the people that brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of slavery." And that is just it's, again, it's so hard when you read this passage to think of the state of Israel at the start of Exodus. The start of Exodus is the birth of Moses, and a couple chapters in you find the Israelites uh, in captivity in Egypt, and, and Moses frees them and starts in Exodus 4 when uh, when Moses returns to Egypt. And in, and in 6, at the start of Exodus 6, God promises deliverance from the Israelites. And it goes all the way up until the end of Exodus 14, which is the crossing of the Red Sea. That's where the Israelites go behind and, and the Egyptians decide to follow them and the Egyptians are are drowned because the the rains come and and the and the and the, and the parting of the sea uh, is no longer because all the Israelites are safely through. And so that was Exodus 14 at the end. Here we are in 32 and they've completely forgot all that God just did for them. And at the end of Exodus 32 we actually see that because they built this golden calf, God specifically casts plagues against Israel. And when God sends plagues, that means he's mad at whosoever he's sending plagues to. The two big examples that you could that you probably think of if now that I just mentioned this was the other one would be at the start of this this narrative where where they send the plagues to to Egypt. And the last plague being that death of the firstborn. That is the initial the the final release of captivity. And so plagues are kind of a big deal, and that's a very big thing for God to just say, you know, we're gonna we're gonna cast plagues on my people. And so that should show us the importance of idolatry. Idolatry is when we take any any of these things, like this golden calf, for example, and we say, I value this golden calf and I'm gonna worship it instead of God. I value this more than God. I'm gonna worship it instead of, of worshiping God. And I think a lot of the times these Idols don't necessarily start off as bad. They start off as something that's admirable, that's a goal that we want to achieve in our life. There's something that we want to, to, to do for the betterment of us so that way we can do something better um, by, by God or something else. Maybe, maybe it's you want to lose some weight. And so you start going to the gym and you, and you, get, uh, you get ripped or, or, or you start doing this. But all of a sudden you're going to the gym all the time and you're never reading your Bible and you've stopped going to church because you've started going to the gym instead of going to church. And you started going to the gym instead of, instead of going to your small group. And you started uh, really focusing on your fitness and you've started not eating certain things and you've started not going out with people in your church community just because you're focused on living this lifestyle that's healthy and, and, and just all enveloping on a, what's initially started off as a good goal. And ultimately, I really, really, really think that idolatry is the root of all sorts of sins. Take a couple of these idols, for example. Maybe it's food. 
Could it be sex? Maybe entertainment? Maybe success or achievement? Maybe it's money? How about romance? Could be your family. I think this one strikes us a little bit all hard. I think the self is one of the biggest idols that we have today. See, because here's what I believe about idolatry is idolatry is a heart issue. And Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. From your heart flows the springs of life. God has given us a heart for a reason. God has given our heart to be something that is meant to be motivating our body to be giving back to Him. It's something that everything our heart does should be directed back towards God. Yet instead of that, we've, we've directed our heart towards food and sex and entertainment and success and money and the self. See, thinking of Proverbs, I read this book not too long ago. It's called Kill the Spider. It's a, it's a pretty great book if you're, if you're wanting to overcome um, some sort of, of, of sin that you've been wrestling with for a while. But let's take, let's take a sin uh, of sex, for example. This, this analogy that Kill the Spider brings out is if you have a spider living in your basement and it starts creating cobwebs, you know, the easy solution is to take a broom and whack the cobwebs. And all of a sudden you don't have cobwebs in your basement anymore. But the really hard thing and the, th- the thing that's going to be more productive is you actually have to find that spider and you have to kill him. Because if you don't kill that spider, he's just going to make more cobwebs the next day. So if you have a basement full of cobwebs, if your heart is full of sin by the, each time that you act out and you sin against God, maybe it's sex, maybe it's money, something like that. Let's take sex for example. Every time you commit a sin of sex... It creates another cobweb. But you need to find that spider. You need to find out where that spider is coming from. And you need to get to the root of that. When I was exploring this, this, this book a little bit ago, I really wrestled with that question of where does my sin stem from? And I think for me, my sin stemmed from a feeling of loneliness. There was an inner sense of loneliness and unsatisfaction because I was lonely. And that led to my sins. I led to a lot of my sins. And so instead of dealing with the spider, I kept on dealing with cobwebs. And so for the past year or so, I've really been battling with the spider. And I can tell you that this way of thinking and approaching our sin is is incredibly effective. And I think it's because it's dealing with idolatry. Because cobwebs are not idols. That's spider is is an idol. That spider is hiding somewhere and it's being secret and we just see the cobwebs. We don't actually see the spider because you have to seek out the spider. So instead we think of things like, like, oh, I've committed this sin and I just need to repent of that. But we don't actually get to the heart of the issue. And idolatry is the heart of the issue. The problem, the problem with idolatry is not that we're not choosing to seek Jesus. We're not cho- it's not that we're not choosing to follow Jesus. The problem with idolatry is that we have chosen to follow Jesus, but we have also refused to leave other things behind when we said yes to Jesus. The problem is that that when I said yes to Jesus, I didn't say no to other things. And when I said yes to Jesus, I said yes, not unconditionally, but yes and. Yes, and I'm also going to bring these suitcases filled with 
with my sins and filled with my desires and filled with my idols ultimately. And so what idolatry ultimately does is it pits ourself versus God. And I want to put a pin in that real quick. And I want to go to the very end of this chapter uh, where Paul talks about, uh, uh, in the end of chapter 10, 23, he talks about doing all things for the gl- good and the glory of God. And I don't think that this is here by accident. I think that this is really great. Pa- this is a really great passage, and it talks uh, a lot about uh, about righteous living. But I don't think that Paul just randomly puts this in here. Because again, think outside the borders of numbers. This is just a letter. Why on earth would Paul transition from idolatry to do all for the glory of God? And I think the answer lies exactly in the text. So in First Corinthians ten twenty three says, "All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. And all things are lawful, but not all things." Build up, And we talked about Proverbs just before this. And Solomon would be the first one to tell you that, sure, you can do things, but it would just leave you unsatisfied. That just because something is lawful does not mean that it's good for you. John talked a little bit last week about, about maybe alcohol and going to the bars and about how, sure, you might be legally able to do that, but that does not mean that you should do that. It doesn't mean that it's helpful. It doesn't mean that it builds you up. A little bit later in verse 31, Paul says, whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of of God. And Paul ends on this note of this, this sort of stanza. He says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And I think Paul has this, this section in here, this verses 23 to 11, one, he has this in here because Paul understands righteous living. Paul understands what it means to be righteous. Paul understands idolatry and has overcome his idols. And so Paul is saying, I've put everything above God. And if you can't do that, then just try to follow me. Because if you do that, then you'll be at least closer to God than where you are now. If you can't follow God directly, then follow somebody that you can see as righteous and seeking God. Because anything closer to God than where we're currently at has to be better than where we're at. And if we can't quite lave all of our baggage, if we can't quite follow Jesus and nothing else, then we should just look to people who are, and it should be easier, and it should be a process. In John 4, Jesus tells, or John tells us the story of Jesus. And he encounters this woman at a well in the middle of the day. And you've probably heard this before, this story before, but there's a message of this story. So the, this, the story is that the Samaritan woman goes to the well in the middle of the day because she's been divorced. And in this society, it was a very shameful thing to do. So she wouldn't want to associate herself around anybody. She would have been very introverted, almost like a hermit. So she would only go to the well when nobody else was going to be there because it's the hottest part of the day. And it's kind of the middle of the desert. And so it's really hot. So nobody goes there. They go in the early morning and they go at the end of night. They don't go in the middle of the day. And so this woman goes in the middle of the day to just avoid everybody. And she gets this water and she goes back. But on her way, she encounters Jesus at the well. And Jesus tells her, you can keep coming to this all time, but I know your sins. And I can tell you that this water is going to do, you're going to be thirsty. In just a couple couple hours. 
But if you drink from me, if you drink from the eternal life that I offer, you will be satisfied to ends that you could never fully understand. And ultimately, that's the heart of idolatry. See, we're going to this well, hoping to, hoping to get something for us to drink that maybe is only going to satisfy us for a little bit. But Jesus is the most satisfying drink we could ever take. And so when we think about that in terms of this idolatry, it's kind of ridiculous that we even struggle with this issue. Because if there's anything that I believe about Jesus, it's that the incarnation of Jesus, that God coming down to this earth in the form of a baby and dying on the cross is the ultimate love letter for him to win his people back from ourselves and from our idols. And so when God sends Jesus to the cross, God is meant to fully satisfy us. And instead of looking to the cross, we look for something else to do, what God has already meant to do for us. Instead of looking at the cross, we look towards sex, we look towards entertainment, we look towards food, we look towards money, we look towards achievement and romance, we look to our family, and ultimately we look to ourselves instead of looking at Jesus. And here's the ultimate truth in in this. Idolatry is such a big deal. It is very important to God. That's why he sends plagues to the idolaters in Exodus 32. That's why Paul writes so extensively about idolaters. Idolatry is so important because idolatry means we love something else more than we love Jesus. It doesn't necessarily mean we don't love Jesus. It doesn't mean I've chosen to pick money over Jesus. Instead, what it means sometimes is that I've chosen to pick Jesus and. And God is not interested in Jesus and. God is not interested in you and. God is a jealous God and God loves you way too much to share you with anything else. Hey, thanks for checking us out and spending some time with us this week. Quick reminder, if you're a student at Iowa State, University of Northern Iowa, or University of Iowa, we would love to connect you with a campus minister. So reach out to ccf.uiowa at gmail.com, and we will make sure we get you connected. Be sure to specify your school in an email. Additionally, if you have questions about anything you've heard today or anything that's on your mind, we would love a chance to answer that here anonymously. So you can also just drop a line there. Again, that is ccf.uiowa at gmail.com. We hope Hope you have a great week and please know that we are praying for you.